Hello, and welcome back to the H.P. Lovecraft Book Club, um, a series in which I'm going through all of the works of H.P. Lovecraft um, and giving my own point of view on them, um, especially revolving around issues of history and race, eugenics, um, immigration, Atlantic history, things like that. So um, in this episode, uh, we'll be beginning a look at the stories that Lovecraft published from 1920 to 1924. There's a lot of them. Um, I think Lovecraft published around 60 stories under his name. He also published his revisions, not including those. There's about 60. Um, 27 of those were published between 1920 and 1924. So it's about half of, of everything he wrote. Not in bulk, because if you know his, so his later stories were much longer. Um, but, you know, it's, it's quite a few of these tales appeared in this period uh, where he does a lot of experimentation in different forms. He really begins to, you know, come in his own and his own point of view. And a lot of these stories are, are quite well known, quite famous stories like The Lurking Fear and Rats in the Wall and, um, you know, Picture in the House, one of my favorites. Uh, but anyways, uh, we're going to go through all these stories. Um, I think most of these we can do in one episode. Some I may have to do a couple episodes to, to cover completely. Uh, that won't be the case in this episode where I'll be looking at the terrible old man. Uh, so the terrible old man is, is essentially a vampire story of, of sorts, but it deals with a lot of very, very interesting questions about trade, about commerce, about history, uh, about immigration. Um, really, really important story. It's also very, very short. It's only about 10 minutes long. Uh, if you listen to the audiobook version, it's only four pages in the Leslie Klinger um, anthology of his, of his writings. So it's set in the town of, of Kingsport. So there's a handful of stories, maybe just two, maybe this one in the festival, might be another one, set in Kingsport. Um, so Kingsport essentially is Lovecraft's uh, vision of Marblehead. And when we looked at his letters from his, the first volume of Lovecraft's letters, we, we, we followed him to Marblehead, where he was quite uh, interested in its history and in its, its architecture. And he talked about it with some of his friends. So, um, you know, this is sort of set in a real place. I was just getting a Twitter discussion about the statement of Randolph Carter, where... I made the claim that it's not in any meaningful place. And, you know, all we really have in that story is a town called Gainesville, a cemetery near a swamp. And there's no real place where that matches. Like there is a Gainesville, Florida, and there's a big Cypress Swamp, Florida, but they're not near each other. I don't think there's a cemetery near there. And Lovecraft had been apparently to Florida, but on the other coast, on the other side. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, it, Geography doesn't matter in the statement of Randall Carter. It matters in a lot of his stories, though. Uh, where things are matters quite a lot to Lovecraft. He often places things in with a with a human geography, right? And that's that's why you know the fact that Kingsport is based on Marblehead is a very very important point. So um, you know there's like those handful of cities that Lovecraft sort of invents, and they're all tied to real places like Arkham has its kind of Salem tie, especially with the witchcraft history. Um, Kingsport is Marblehead. Uh, Dunwich 
I guess that's more of a backwater, but uh, Innsmouth is also like an old industrial town. Um, now, let's let's look a little bit about the history of, of Marblehead. So a bit like uh, Innsmouth, and as Kingsport's described here, it's it's a port city that kind of had its heyday in the past. So Marblehead's peak was in the 17, 18th century, right before the American Revolution. And there was a lot of privateering going from there, a lot of uh, illicit commerce. Um, it was kind of a fishing, it was like a cod town, really. So there's a lot of fishing connected to Marblehead. Cod, dr dried cod was, I heard it described once as like the power bar of the, of the early modern world, right? Because they would dry these and it would keep um, so it was very important for shipping um, and that, you know, the cod fish were all kind of overfished way back in the early modern period in, you know, in the North Atlantic. And it, it really did feed the, the merchant seaman class for, for decades and decades. Um, so it's, it's kind of an, it's a city that's still around, but it's, it's heyday as a center of commerce, illicit, a center of fishing is is long past um, it was once actually a part of of salem so it's um it's it's relatively nearby it was kind of uh, in politically connected to salem for a while so it has it's close to arkham if we imagine arkham as sort of salem actually the marblehead wikipedia gives a, a shout out to hp lovecraft saying horror and fantasy writer hp lovecraft derived great influence from marblehead Following his first visit in December 1922, he retroactively reconfigured his fictional Kingsport in its own image. As of 1920, Kingsport was an unspecified location on Rhode Island, only mentioned in passing. The name most probably a slight alteration of Kingsport, Rhode Island, Kingstown, Rhode Island. Seven years later, Lovecraft described his 1922 impressions of his first experience in Marblehead. And that's in a letter, um, which we already talked about. Uh, Lovecraft had it that his recurring character of Randolph Carter, popularly considered an idealized version of Lovecraft himself, grew up in Kingsport. He used Kingsport as the setting for his short stories, The Terrible Old Man, The Festival, and Strange High House in the Mist. Uh, the poignant conclusion um, to the dream quest of the unknown Kadath takes place here. So, yeah, um, important uh, city to, to get a hold of for, um, for understanding Lovecraft's vision of history. Um, but uh, let's let's look at this story. It's it's really really fascinating. Um, so we're introduced to uh, three criminals, all immigrants, and uh, Angelo Ricci, Italian name, Joe Sanek, Polish, and Manuel Silvia, Portuguese uh, name. So these are uh, basically recent immigrants. It's explicitly they're they're. they're racial and immigrant status is expressly dealt with here. They're outsiders to Kingsport. So they didn't know not to prey on the terrible old man who everyone else in the town avoids. Um, so the description here of where he lives is a water street. Um, I'm not sure if there's a water street in Marblehead. There probably is. Um, but, quote, this old man dwells all alone in a very, very ancient house on Water Street near the sea. It is reputed to be both exceedingly rich and exceedingly feeble, which forms a situation very attractive to men of the profession of, of these criminals, right? Um, so they're robbers, and they prey on people who seem easy to, to prey on. Now, after this introduction to these three guys and their plan, their rather foolish plan, as it turns out, is we get uh, our look at Kingsport. 
um, and why the people of Kingsport stay away from the terrible old man. And he has a history. So I'm very much reminded here of, of Innsmouth, where you have a past of connection to the sea, but that's been degraded. And, but you still have that legacy, sometimes in people, sometimes in ideas and traditions connected to the sea. And we'll pick this up again with the festival and, and Shadow over Innsmouth, of course, too. Um, and there's other stories that, that have that really close relationship to the sea via trade. And then underneath that, you get traditions and ideas uh, coming through, especially in the festival in Innsmouth. Um, here, it's just a man who kind of, but he's in touch with something. He brought something back with him, it seems. Um, quote, he is in truth a very strange person, believed to have been a captain of an East India clipper ships in his day, so old that no one can remember when he was young, and so taciturn that few knew his real name. Um, so we get this description of, of the terrible old man, kind of uh, a, a figure that most people in town are afraid of. Young boys may dare each other to go approach the house or taunt him um, or throw things at his house, but most people know better than to deal with the terrible old man. Quote, there are other things which frighten the older and more curious folk who sometimes steal up to the house to peer into the dusty um, panes. So a few people who are brave enough to look into the house of the terrible old man see this. What they see are bottles. Um, each, quote, in each a small piece of lead suspended pendulum-wise from a string. And they say that the terrible old man talks to these bottles, addressing them by names such as Jack, Scarface, Long Tom, Spanish Joe Peters, and Mate Ellis. And that whenever he speaks to the bottles in little lead pendulum within them, make certain definite vibrations as if an answer. So obviously these are names of, of sailors, right? Um, Jack, Scarface, Long Tom, Spanish Joe, Peter, and Mate Ellis, all sailors' names. So these are figures, names from his past in some way. And he talks to them, right? Um, and people who see this are so freaked out by this that they never want to see it again, right? Um, now, we're not in the same paragraph where this background is given. We're given the background of our robbers uh, in a little bit more detail. And they are, they are clearly described here as, as Nubla to, to Kingsport and, and recent immigrants to America. Quote, but Angela Ricci and Joe Senzek and Manuel Silvia were not of Kingsport blood, they were of that new and heterogeneous alien stock which lies outside the charmed circles of New England life and traditions. And they saw in the terrible old man merely a tottering, almost helpless graybeard who could not walk without the aid of his knotted cane and whose thin, weak hands shook pitifully. Um, so, of, you know, the description here of them as, as outsiders. Now, that's important for the plot because they don't know any better than to uh, approach the terrible old man. But they're also, you know, the immigrant criminals but um, there's some relationship between these types of folk, though, and the terrible old man in these bottles, right? We can imagine the sailors. It's hard not to imagine the sailors as the same motley crew uh, from many countries. Of course, the maritime uh, merchant workforce, labor supply was international. Ships picked up sailors in different ports. Uh, it was often uh, recent immigrants, people were tied to the sea who, who joined these crews. The British weren't uh, very picky about who they chose to be um, to be on these ships, right? And literally, we got a Spanish Joe, right, um, who is obviously a, from Spain, right? 
these ships were motley crew. They were diverse. They were international zones. Um, even if maybe the language spoken was English, we can imagine many other languages were spoken. Um, I urge you all to reread Moby Dick. And there's this great scene after uh, Ahab gives the quest, says we're going after the white whale. We get the party, the, the celebration, the, the conversations of the crew in a ch wonderful chapter in which we get the same sort of international diversity being described there. Um, so this is important because New England, you know, on the one hand has that kind of pure Puritan stock, right? You had that massive migration in about a 10 year period of 30,000 Puritans and they create the nucleus of Massachusetts Bay. It's, it's, it's uh, population, right? But as New England developed, it became a more international zone with a lot of trade and that brings in all these different populations. And this is uh, kind of a, another side of New England's history in the, in the colonial period up through the American Revolution. Now, as for the Indian clippers, um, the Indian clipper ships were a type of ship used in the middle of the 19th century. Uh, they were used by Americans, uh, British and others. It's just a type of ship, but it was mostly common in Britain and the United States, although other countries produced it. It's just a technology that, that could be shared. But what they were used was sometimes called packet ships. Uh, they were they allowed much more rapid uh, communication between East Asia, India and and the Atlantic world. So it's, it's kind of key. They, but they, they were still in use at the time when a lot of other ships were moving towards the iron-hauled steel steamships. But they were like, the, I guess, the last generation of great sailing ships. So that dates the, the terrible old man to the middle of the 19th century. This story is set in 1920. So he's, you know, his age is a bit ambiguous here. But people in Kingsport who would push him back to maybe the mid-19th century, he'd just be an old an old sailor who still lived there. But there's a suggestion here that that he maybe is quite older. And why do we think that? Well, we learn also in the same, is it the same paragraph? Yeah, it's still the same second paragraph of the story. There's only five, I think, in the whole story. Uh, in this, we, we learn that he pays for his services. He doesn't have a bank account. He doesn't have US dollars. He pays with Spanish gold and silver minted two centuries ago. Um, that's the exact quote. Spanish gold and silver minted two centuries ago. Now, this might just be because he came across it, but I think Lovecraft's trying to suggest that he has a much, much older legacy and his time as a captain on the clipper ship is just a stage in his, in his life. Now, the, the China connection here, I think, is, is interesting. We also have a connection to New World gold and, and silver. I don't know which is more important, but whatever this terrible man is doing, I think is likely something he learned from abroad from some other other traditions so like magic coming from these non-western areas is something we've seen before we saw it for instance in the the trans uh the transition of juan romero right that was maybe the best example we've seen of that there it was reflected in this ring from from india and the narrator of that story has all sorts of a whole backstory that isn't really explained to us about his life in India and apparently with gurus and things that he was learning stuff from. So um, I think it's likely that whatever's going on with the bottles and the souls that he seems to be capturing in these bottles, maybe he picked up 
while on the clipper ships, maybe he picked up at some other other time. So anyways, after getting this, that's the first two paragraphs. The second paragraph is about half the story. I'm laying out all this background. We get the actual plan of, of, of Ricci, Sesnek, and, and Sylvia. Um, Silva. And the plan basically is to quote unquote interview the poor old gentleman. Uh, Sesnek will be the will be the, um, the runaway, the driver who's going to wait in the car. The other two, Ricci and Silva, will approach him and essentially take his gold. Uh, it's the it's kind of cool language here. Like we get um, quote, they feared it might be unpleasant work making the terrible man locutious concerning his hoarded gold and silver for aged sea captains are notably stubborn and perverse. Still, he was very old and very feeble. And there were two visitors. Messieurs Ricci and Silva were experienced in the art of making unwilling persons voluble and the screams of the weak and exceptionally venerable man can be easily muffled. So the plan is basically to uh, approach the old man, get into his house, torture him until he tells where his secret stash of, of Spanish gold and silver is, is laid. Um, actually, I'm reminded here now that there's a character, uh, the Watleys in, um, in the Dunwich Horde. They pay for things with old Spanish gold too, I think. Um, gold and silver. It's a little um, something we'll see later. So at this point, the story shifts to Seznek. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. C-Z-A-N-E-K. Um, anyways, he's in the getaway car waiting for the his two colleagues to come back. And he didn't hear... Um, well, no, he did. He did hear hideous screams from inside. Um, but he waited. Um, he, I think he assumed the screams were from the, the old man. Um, quote, had he not told his colleagues to be as gentle as possible with the pathetic old sea captain, he thinks that maybe th they accidentally murdered him and had to search the house themselves, not, not getting the information from the terrible old man. But he's sitting there waiting kind of nervously in the getaway car. And then he sees the door open or he hears some noise at the house and the door opens. And he thinks, oh, now they're coming. But instead, it's the terrible old man. Uh, quote, but the terrible old man leaning quietly on his knotted cane and smiling hideously. Mr. Sesnek had never before noticed the color of the man's eyes. Now he saw that they were yellow. Um, and that's basically it. So the final paragraph of the story is, is about legend and myth. And it's a really great little paragraph. Um, quote, little things make considerable excitement in little towns, which is the reason that Kingsport people talked all that spring and summer about three unidentifiable bodies horribly slashed as with, as with many cutlasses and horribly mangled as if tread of, as if the tread of many cruel boot heels, which the tide washed in. So we got these bodies that come washed in from the water, not found near the house, washed in from the water. And the, the reference here of cutlasses, of course, that's the, that's the weapon of a pirate. Um, so is the terrible man an old pirate? Who kind of acquired some some of these this ancient magic? This kind of vampire. This basically he's a vampire, right? It's it's suggested here. I think that he's living off of these souls that he continued to talk to through these through these bottles. Um, you know, there's different rumors here about the deserted motor car, inhuman cries, probably of a stray animal or migratory bird heard that night. Quote, but in this idle village gossip, the terrible man took no interest at all. He was by nature reserved, and when one is feeble, aged and feeble, one's reserve is doubly strong. Besides, so ancient a sea captain must have witnessed scores of things much more stirring in the far-off days of his unremembered 
youth. Um, so that's the tale. Really nice one. Um, yeah, we don't get a clear explanation of, of really what's going on here. What's with the bottles? Are they the souls of his victims? He seems to be some kind of vampire who's able to, to stay alive. But he's definitely got magic. Right? Um, I'm really struck by the importance of the sea here. The bodies are washed in on the tide. Um, now, of course, he's on Water Street. Kingsport is a port. He is an old sea captain. Uh, he has these very souls of, of old sailors that maybe served under him in the past. Maybe maybe he's a pirate, right? Because we have the Cutlass re reference here. So really great stuff. A little bit ambiguous, but I really enjoy this um, story. And it tells us so much about Lovecraft's fascination with the sea, his fear of the sea. And the fact that our victim and our perpetrator, the terrible man and the three, are all also of the sea in some way. They're external to New England. You know, whether you sympathize with one side or the other, I don't really think there's much ground to sympathize with either here. Uh, the, the victims are pretty horrible people, and the terrible man is terrible. Uh, we're told that multiple times. It's in his name. He doesn't have a name. It's just how the town refers to him. They're all outsiders. They're not really of, of King's port. They're, all, they're, they're tied to the sea in some way uh, through, through immigration, either ancient or, or modern. So um, I guess that's it. It's a rather short tale, so um, I think I may more or less have exhausted what there is to say about it but um, certainly an important text for the themes that we are, are, are looking at. So anyways, if you have anything more you want to say about the terrible old man, uh, let me know what those are. Uh, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Uh, in the next episode, we will be looking at the tree. So for that story, we'll go away from New England. We'll go to Greece. It's, it's one of a handful of, of tales that Lovecraft sets in in somewhere in Europe, like the Boonbog. Rats on the Wall is set in, in, in Europe too. There's, there's, a, there's a handful. I always know, kind of known as New England. But again, one point I want to keep making is I, I think there's a much more global, worldly um, aspect that, that we see in Lovecraft, even from his earliest earliest tales. So next up, The Tree. Um, oh, by the way, I think I, meant, I forgot to mention the publication information for Terrible Old Man for your use. Uh, Published in the tryout in July 1921, written in early 1920. Um, re reprinted in Weird Tales in 1926. So that's that's when this was published. So the tryout, we saw we saw in the previous episode that actually he, he wrote a lot of his, uh, or he published a lot of his poems, early poems in the tryout. So anyways, that's it for The Terrible Old Man. Uh, let me know what you think. And uh, if you're reading along, you know, check out the tree before, before uh, in the next few days before I upload my next episode. So thanks for listening. Uh, see you next time.